All right, all right, welcome back. We are continuing on in our Know Thyself series, and today's message is entitled Grow Thyself. And yes, I did that on purpose. I, I like to rhyme things. It's very <laughs> pastorly of me, I guess. I can't help it. And uh, yeah, we're talking about what healthy spiritual growth looks like. I was thinking about this recently because I recently became a plant owner a few months ago. Now, I've never owned plants before on my own or taken care of them on my own before. So I'm learning a lot these days about what it means to be a plant owner. And one thing I uh, was recently frustrated with was the fact that like one of my plants, it's uh, called a fiddle leaf fig plant. Uh, it started shedding what looked like perfectly healthy leaves. Uh, let me pull up the picture right here. As you can see, uh, this leaf that I'm holding in this picture has a really gorgeous green color. So, but I found it on the floor. It was just like lying on the floor right next to the plant. And I was confused by this because I, I water the plant regularly and I don't overwater it. Okay, you could tell that the plant actually looks pretty healthy in the background. And um, still, like these green leaves would be shedding. They would be, I would find these green leaves on the floor. So I was really frustrated and confused by this. So I asked a couple of my more green-thumbed friends why this was happening. And one of them told me that it's completely normal for healthy plants to shed what looks like healthy leaves, uh, green leaves. It's so that they're making, new, uh, they're making space for new leaves to grow because the branches, um, these little branches, they only have space for a certain amount of leaves. Now, if you look closely at the plant uh, right behind it, there are new buds that are starting to bloom out of these what look like kind of shortened uh, branches. Now, uh, now, whenever I find a new green leaf on the floor uh, next to my plant, I know that it simply means that a new leaf is coming and I'm not as frustrated uh, or confused uh, anymore. Um, so this made me wonder, what are some old leaves in my life that I need to shed in order for new leaves to grow? What are some old leaves in my life that I need to shed for new leaves to grow? And maybe you can ask that for yourself. What are some old leaves in your life that you need to shed in order for new leaves to grow? And perhaps these old leaves might still look good. They might still look green. But for one reason or another, it still has to go. There still needs to be uh, some shedding that needs to happen. This may be a way for God to remove something good in your life for something better to come along. Besides, there's only so much space in our hearts, in our minds, in our spirits, in our very lives to contain everything, right? We, we can't, if we're going to take in new uh, blessings, we kind of have to let go of maybe old blessings. And they could still be blessings. They could still be good things. But we still need to let go of those things in order for something new to enter into our lives. As I'm getting older, 
Uh, I'm past 40 now. Uh, I've been past 40 for a few years. Um, as I'm getting older and living uh, this vast range of experiences in my life, I'm learning more and more that growth is not simply about taking in information or consuming as much as possible or just um, you know, grabbing as much as I can. Okay, it, it has so much more than that. Now I'm realizing that growth is a cycle. Growth is a cycle. Growth is this constant process of knowing and unknowing, learning and unlearning, taking and letting go. Growth is this constant cycle of knowing and unknowing, learning and unlearning and, and taking and, and letting go. As I was thinking about this, I came across this um, quote from Dr. James Hollis. Uh, Dr. Hollis is a psychotherapist. Um, he's on the older side now. He's like 80 now. Uh, and he was one of the leaders in studying like the second half of life. Okay, um, af what happens to us after midlife. And he's an expert on Carl Jung. And let me pull up this image for us real quick. There is no going forward without a death of some kind. A death of who we thought we were and were supposed to be. A death of a map of the world we thought worthy of our trust and investment. A death of expectations that by choosing rightly we could avoid suffering. Oof. Let me just read that first line again. There is no going forward without a death of some kind. Growth, as we're realizing more and more as we live our lives, it um, cannot be faked, cannot be forced or manipulated. I think most of us here, we're realizing as we're all getting older, spiritual growth, as well as maybe mental and emotional growth. Spiritual growth cannot be faked, forced, or manipulated. Spiritual growth cannot be faked, forced, or manipulated. So let's take a look at today's passage. Um, again, it comes to us from 1 Corinthians. Last week we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and today we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Verses 8 through 13. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. 
When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. All right, so last week we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I gave uh, a lot of background information on uh, the city of Corinth and all of its similarities to Los Angeles and why maybe even the church in Corinth in the first century has a lot of similarities with the church in greater LA or in America uh, here today. So I'm not going to get into all of that, but if you missed last week, you know, you could go back and listen to that. Um, but the Corinthians, uh, and so today we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is most famous for is being the chapter of love, okay? The chapter of love. And it's the most commonly used passage for uh, wedding ceremonies. Um, it's a passage that people love to quote when they're talking about love or giving a definition of love, and rightly so, because it really gives a robust and full picture, an accurate picture of what love is. But the chunk of a passage that we read today is uh, what I love the most about 1 Corinthians 13. It's because it kind of clarifies some of the differences of what God's love looks like and what the world's love looks like. For example, it talks about how if there will be uh, tongues, they will be stilled. And a lot of what we have with love is uh, empty talk, right? There's a lot of people out there who can say all the right words, right? And can and be so eloquent and articulate like poets, but when it really comes down to it, can they love with their actions? Can they love with their lives? Um, likewise, uh, it also talks about knowledge, right? Uh, this idea that knowledge uh, will, will pass away. And this is what I was talking about with growth, right? Everything uh, that I thought had to do with growth was about like consuming and hoarding and taking in as much as possible. But now I'm realizing in actuality, growth has to do with like learning and unlearning, taking in and letting go, right? Uh, a lot of what we know kind of passes through us. And so the Corinthians idea of love um, was very different from God's idea of love, which is why Apostle Paul had to elaborate and define very clearly what love is earlier in chapter 13 by saying things like love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, um, and on and on and on. So Paul had to be very clear and explicit about what love actually is because the Corinthians idea of love was about pleasure. It's about pleasing the self. And that's a lot of what the Greco-Romans believe love to be, is about how this person can please me. And that's not that different from the way our Western world views love, is it? The Western ideal of love today in the 21st century is very similar. What can this person do for me? How can this person improve my life? What can he, what can she, uh, how can they make me feel good? 
Whereas the primary question that Christians should be asking, the people of God should be asking is, how can I serve them? How can I, what can I do for this other person? And the key part of what's necessary in loving someone, whether it's a child, a sibling, a friend, or a partner, is growth. Growth. In order for us to adequately and properly and continuously love those around us, our family, our friends, our significant others, our co-workers, our neighbors, our, anyone that we meet down the street, is for continual growth continual growth this is why uh, the first point that we need to highlight from today's passage is this growth begins with self-awareness growth begins with self-awareness now i think that most of us know this already in other areas of life for example if you don't know how to ride a bike <laughs> you have to acknowledge that right like oh I don't know how to ride a bike so I want to learn how to ride a bike you have to acknowledge that you have to be aware of that lack of bike riding <laughs> skills that you have or don't have um, if you know you're bad at math right uh, and you want to learn like I want to get better at math then you know that's you have to start there right so many times we don't grow because we're not self-aware. There are so many people that I meet uh, who think they are mature, <laughs> but in actuality, they're, com they're completely immature. Yet they believe they're mature, and so because they believe they're mature, they're never gonna grow. There are so many people out there who believe they're spiritual, but in actuality, they're not spiritual at all, but they believe they're spiritual, so they're never gonna grow. So, this is a big reason why um, Apostle Paul says in verse 11, When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Let's be honest, like uh, many children are not the most self-reflective or self-aware people in the world, right? Uh, they don't really ponder life and they don't really do introspection uh, they don't often like take a look at themselves from the outside in yet this is exactly what we as adults should be doing on a regular basis and yet so many adults don't do this and the reason why this is a healthy practice to do is to take an honest look at ourselves and recognize where it is that we need to grow what areas are lacking in our lives like how can I become more like Jesus in this area? How can I love my significant other more in this area? How can I be a better dad? Or like, in what areas am I lacking as a father in this area? And then Paul continues on in verse 12 by saying, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I am fully known now we see only a reflection in the mirror there are other passages of scripture or other versions of verse 12 that translate this verse differently 
another version of the Bible translates this as, for now we see in the mirror dimly. For now we see in the mirror dimly. And what does Apostle Paul mean by this? Well, it's because in the first century, uh, most people didn't have mirrors like we have today. You know, our mirrors are very clear, <laughs> made out of glass, right? And it's uh, pretty much identical to what we see, except it's the you know opposite, right? Um, it's like the reflected version of what we see, but it's like pretty cl crystal clear for the most part, right? It's like very clear. Back then, most mirrors were not made out of glass, okay? They were made out of like sheet metal, sheet metal, and it was, um, it was shiny, okay? And they would like buff it down, and they would try to make it as flat as possible so you could see your reflection in this sheet metal. But it's not accurate, okay? It's not completely accurate, and it's still a little dim, okay? It's still a little cloudy or a little um, blurry and this is what Apostle Paul was referring to he didn't even know what mirrors today would look like and so oftentimes the way we see ourselves is like that where it's blurry it's like a blurry version of who we truly are okay we don't see ourselves accurately as we probably should in some ways um, we don't like to look at certain areas in our lives because it hurts. We don't like to look at ourselves that clearly because it's hard, right? And in many ways, it's like suffering. It's like suffering. And this reminded me of uh, a book that I read a few years ago by Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl was a psychologist and he lived through the Holocaust and he had this profound outlook on life after and even during the Holocaust because um, he recognized that one of the big purposes, one of the big reasons why he was able to survive that horrific time was because uh, he had a purpose, okay? He had meaning in his life. And so he wrote this book called Man's Search for Meaning. And this is something that he said in, in that book. In some ways, Suffering ceases to be suffering at the moment it finds meaning, such as the meaning of a sacrifice. In some ways, suffering ceases to be suffering at the moment it finds meaning, such as the meaning of sacrifice. Now, when we do a lot of that introspection that's required in order for growth, it, it, it hurts. It's uncomfortable and maybe even painful. But that pain points to something that requires attention. You know, pain in many ways, it's, it's a blessing, right? Pain is a blessing because it's, it's pointing at an area that needs your attention. And that's why God allowed us to feel pain in our bodies. So if, um, let's say, I sprained my ankle when I'm running, it's going to hurt, right? And it's giving me an alarm, right, to give this ankle attention and if I don't give it attention it's gonna hurt more and more and more and it's gonna get worse and worse and worse and a big reason why we don't like to do that hard work of looking inward is because it's hard it's painful but growth has to begin there growth has to begin with self-awareness and this is precisely why last week we spent um, the whole sermon talking about the importance of knowing thyself knowing thyself 
The other thing that this passage teaches us about growth is that it is often slow and intentional. Growth is often slow and intentional. Now, there are some areas in our lives where growth uh, more, or so, more or less like naturally happens, such as like physical growth. Um, for my kids, right, they're, they're growing kids, right? My daughter's 11 and my son is 7, so they're still growing a lot. Um, they don't necessarily have to do much in order to grow. They're eating healthy and they're exercising. I, I guess in that sense, they still have to do stuff um, and they have to be intentional about it. But even sleep, like sleep is like actually the most important part of them growing, right? They have to get enough sleep because that's when kids grow the most is in their sleep. And I have, that's part of the reason why uh, their mom and I are always harping on them to like get enough sleep, get enough sleep to uh, go to bed in time and um, to get at least like seven or eight hours of sleep every night. Uh, but that has to do with like physical growth. When it comes to spiritual growth, uh, emotional health, uh, emotional maturity, uh, mental growth, meaning like getting smarter, growing in intelligence. Those things don't just happen. It has to happen with intention. Spiritual growth does not just happen. It has to happen with intention. This is what uh, doctors Henry Cloud and John Townsend said in their book, How People Grow what the Bible reveals about spiritual growth. Action is always an integral part of growth. Spiritual growth does not happen to us. It requires a great deal of blood, sweat, and tears. Action is an integral part of growth. Spiritual growth does not happen to us. It requires a great deal of blood, sweat, and tears. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us all the time. For us as the people of God, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us all the time. And Jesus promised us this. This is precisely why Jesus ascended into heaven after he resurrected, spent some time here. But ultimately, he had to leave, be ascended into heaven, so that the Holy Spirit can come down and be with us. The Holy Spirit guides us, speaks to us, and gently leads us in our everyday lives. But oftentimes we're so surrounded by noise and distractions and we're not really paying attention that it's really, really difficult to hear her voice, to hear the Holy Spirit's voice. And unfortunately, so many people, and this kind of goes back to the first point, uh, which is um, uh, growth begins with self-awareness. So many people believe that they're spiritual uh, but because they believe that they're spiritual they don't really make an effort to grow spiritually and we often do these little things here and there that seem spiritual but it actually is not <laughs> for example um, I'll give the example of yoga okay I love yoga I, I practice yoga uh, at least once a week I, I try to practice it at least once a week um, uh, it's been really great for my body ever since I injured myself a few years ago and ever since then I've been trying to do it uh, kind of regularly and, and I love it. Uh, but yoga for me and for most Americans, it's simply exercise. It's a great 
way to stretch and exercise and you know and and practice some good healthy like breathing habits and yes it intermixed with all of that is like meditation and um, focus and centering on yourself and all that new agey stuff and my, one of my favorite parts at the very end of it is uh, shavasana where you just lie down on the floor and if it's a really really difficult session a really really intense class of yoga um, I, I that's my favorite part shavasana where I'm just like lying on the floor and I'm so grateful for the floor <laughs> and I'm just there and I'm just like embracing the rest and Exercises like these, uh, practices like these, trick us into believing we're deeply spiritual people. When I know that is like not even the tip of the iceberg, that's just like, that's not even like scratching the surface of what spirituality is. Spirituality requires daily prayer, regular scripture reading, constant self-reflection, and I, I do this through like journaling and like therapy and uh, other areas and like constant service constantly serving other people loving on other people and like serving other people like giving to those in need we have to do that regularly that's what spiritual maturity requires and it's slow and it requires intention every single day every single day last but not least growth is a result of application, not amount. Growth is a result of application, not amount. In the beginning and the end of today's passage, verse 8 and verse 13, it kind of bookends this very nicely. In verse 8, it says, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. So it doesn't matter if a prophet is truly gifted, if they don't love. It doesn't matter if someone is eloquent with words or have the gift of tongues and can, uh, can speak so articulately if they don't love. If they know everything there is to know, it doesn't matter if they don't love. So ultimately, what this comes down to is application, not amount. It has to do with application of your knowledge, application of your wisdom, application of all the life lessons you've learned, rather than the amount of what you know. I've known, uh, so you know, uh, I've been a pastor for a long time, um, and now I've been a chaplain for several years. Um, but I'm still a pastor, and I'm probably, God willing, I'll always be a pastor. And so I've also known a lot of pastors in my life. And there are so many pastors I've met where I go into their offices, um, and they have like walls and walls of books. They have entire libraries that they own, but they don't really love very well there are so many people who just know so much they know so much and it seems like they apply very very little and yet there's other people who they just have like a few books or like 
maybe they're not maybe they never went to college maybe they never went to graduate school maybe they never finished high school and yet they have so much love in their hearts and they reflect the love of Jesus in their lives so well they're like angels they're they're just glowing wherever they go and they just bless everyone that they encounter and I'm realizing more and more like that's who I want to be that's what I want to be it has nothing to do with the amount of knowledge that you have it has everything to do with application with application you can read all the books that you want on how to be a great basketball player but until you actually like practice it you're never gonna get better right you're never gonna grow as a basketball player you can read all the books that you want on love but unless you actually like put it into practice and live it out you're never gonna be a loving person it has everything to do with application and less to do with amount. If faith doesn't care for the poor, it doesn't empathize with the marginalized, it doesn't mourn with your suffering neighbor, then faith is shallow, immature, or fake. And that's putting it lightly, right? If faith doesn't care for the poor, empathize for the marginalized, or mourn with the suffering neighbor, then faith is shallow, immature, or fake. One of my mentors, um, his name is David Kim, uh, he started a church up in Chatsworth, uh, which is up in the valley, uh, called the Garden Church. And he taught me something very valuable about healthy spirituality. He said, healthy spirituality needs to be lived from the inside out. This means that most of what we do in our spiritual lives go unseen, it's private, and it's unrewarded. It's unseen. Most of what we do in our spiritual lives should be unseen, private, and unrewarded. Internal prayers to God, personal studying of scripture, giving to those in need without when there's no one around, um, off, tithing regularly to the church, most of these go unnoticed by most people, but these are the daily habits that build healthy spirituality. And when we practice these things, when we live these out, God fills our lives, our hearts, our spirits with so much joy and peace that the world cannot give, that the world can never give. And yet, everything in our society teaches us the opposite, does it not? Uh, we live in an outside-in culture. It's almost like this uh, fake it till you make it kind of mentality. And I'm reminded of this. I was reminded of this the other day when I was on Instagram and I, sh I saw this uh, account of this guy who would go to like fast food restaurants and ask them like if he could get something to eat but he forgot his wallet and if they give him food, he would reward them or bless them by giving them a, like a thousand dollars in cash and it looks really nice right and everyone's like praising this guy for giving these like workers a thousand dollars in cash which is very generous and i know it's gonna get him a lot of followers and he's gonna get that money back he's gonna make that money back in the long run um and it, this is the kind of the deception of social media we present ourselves to be generous m more generous than we actually might be 
we present ourselves to be more successful than we actually are. Uh, we portray our bodies to be healthier or fitter or sexier than it might be in reality, right? We might even show our relationships to be happy and, and, and problem-free and exciting all the time when no relationships are actually like that. And spirituality, healthy spirituality, does not work this way at all, right? Sp healthy spirituality does not work this way at all. So, um, kind of going back to uh, the question for today, okay? Um, thinking about what we need to shed in order for something new to grow. Is there an area of your life, uh, what part of your life needs to die for growth to happen? What part of you needs to die in order for growth to happen? Um, I wanted to close with this. Uh, a, f a couple days ago, I visited a patient. Uh, we'll just call her uh, Mrs. K. Uh, she was a delightful woman. Um, she was in her late 60s and she uh, shared with me that in 2019, uh, God brought her back from the dead. And I asked her, like, what do you mean by that? Uh, she said in 2019, uh, her heart stopped three times. Her heart stopped three times. And um, uh, when she died, she said she saw a vision of God and God told her it's not your time yet and she asked why and he didn't give her an answer he didn't give her an answer and um, the doctors were were able to like bring her back to life and before that I mean she had grown up in church but for most of her adult life she never really went to church and it was after that time in uh, 2019 that she dedicated her life to God uh, you know, and that was only like four years ago, right? But still, um, she dedicated her life to God. And she said ever since then, she's been trying to bless everyone whom she encounters. And her life's been so rich and so full and so joyful um, ever since then. And after she came back from the dead in uh, 2019, uh, she, came, she wrote this song, um, this gospel song. And um, she sang it for me. And it was so beautiful, it was so powerful, I asked her if I could record it. And so she said yes, and I asked her if I could share this with you all. And she said yes, she was like really excited to share it with, um, with you. So uh, here's her song, I'm going to close with this and send you off with this uh, by Mrs. K.